the episode you are about to hear was created prior to our rebranding to Foul Play. If you have any information on any of our cases, you can visit us at itsfoulplay.com. When I started this podcast, I would work cases where family members of unsolved case victims would contact me asking for help. After two years, I have discovered many times cold cases aren't forgotten about because the victim's family will not stop fighting for justice. But what about those victims who have no family to fight? The women you will hear about in this series are such people. I have always worked cases and helped speak for victims along with their family to ensure they are not forgotten about. But now I stand alone, speaking out for victims I do not know, and who names I cannot share, because I don't want them to be forgotten about. I am Shane Waters. A Crittenden County Sheriff's investigator said Tuesday that officials have identified a woman whose body was found along Interstate 40 in 1984. Investigator Charles Walker said the death of Lisa Ann Nichols, 28, of West Virginia, has been linked to a series of so-called redhead murders. Police have said eight slings in five states, including Tennessee, may have been committed by the same person. Walker said police have been unsuccessful in locating Miss Nichols' family. This article is from an old newspaper that was published on June 27, 1985. You are probably wondering why you have never heard of this unsolved serial killer case. I will touch on that a little later. For the past several months, and with the help of amateur investigative researcher Chris Al, I have been investigating these cases. Unfortunately, so far, I have no on-record cooperation from detectives and federal agencies that I have contacted about this cold and very forgotten series of cases. So, I will start this entire series by reading that short article from an old newspaper, because honestly, that is where I started. Join me on this journey as I investigate and report on this cold series of murders that no one is talking about. Sunday, September 16th, 1984. West Memphis, Arkansas. The forecast was predicted to be dry and hot, somewhere in the high 70s. However, the temperature stayed cooler as a hitchhiker started down the on-ramp 
to Interstate 40, about 20 miles west of West Memphis. Not far from the ramp, the man noticed something that looked out of place. There, among the trash, were the remains of a woman wearing only a knit skirt. The following is an article from the Tennessean newspaper that was published on June 26, 1985. The body of a woman, Metro Police say, has, quote, the second longest prostitute record in Nashville, end quote, has been identified as one of the eight redhead murder victims, officials said. The semi-nude and strangled body found last September 16th on Interstate 40 entrance ramp near Shaverville, Arkansas, was identified as Lisa Ann Jarvis, also known as Lisa Ann Nichols and Lisa Ann Fuller, police said yesterday. She has the second largest prostitute record in Nashville and Davison County, said Sergeant Raymond Buchanan, a Metro Vice squad officer. Her rap sheet stretches from the ceiling to the floor three times. Yukana said Jarvis, whose nickname was Baby Doll, had been arrested on charges of prostitution, shoplifting, larceny, robbery, and drugs. She had a drug habit worse than my car has a gasoline habit, he said. The Tennessee Bureau of Investigation had included Jarvis's body on a list of those under investigation as possibly part of serial killings. Authorities are not sure one person is responsible for the killings or how many victims there might be. Having what background we have at this point, she seems to be consistent with what we thought in the beginning, a transient type person, said Steve Watson, deputy director of the TBI. Jarvis's identification was made Sunday by Walker after he followed a lead to Fort Lauderdale, Florida last week. There he said he interviewed an admitted pimp and prostitute who said they had lived with Jarvis in West Memphis for a short time, knowing her as Lisa Ann Nichols. The pimp, who was in a Florida jail, told Walker he last saw Jarvis getting into a tractor trailer on September 12, 1984, at a truck stop outside Shaverville, said Walker. Authorities believe she was killed within 24 hours of when she was last seen, working the truck stop. Lisa is the only known victim of the redhead murders who has been identified. You heard that right. Out of at least seven women, she is the only person whose identity was discovered after 34 years. When it comes to murder cases, detectives typically look at the people close to the victim because more times than not, the person responsible was someone they knew. So, when you have someone whose identity is unknown, as you can imagine, it makes the case that much more difficult. The Tennessee Bureau of Investigation, TBI for short, is still holding the victims that were found in Tennessee in their files. I tried twice to reach out to the TBI explaining that I wanted to help bring this series of unsolved murder victims to the light. There have been no leads for decades in the cases, and I would like to at least try to help identify the names of the Jane Doe's.
The first call went nowhere. In fact, the person on the other line was a little hostile. When I reached out to the media spokesperson for the TBI for help, I received an email explaining that the cases are still active murder cases, and if they decide they would like to work with me or answer my questions, they would contact me. No further communication has been successful. I haven't given up hope that the Tennessee Bureau of Investigation will reach out. I pray they realize the help that I can provide on a case that hasn't had a lead in decades. More than just help with the case, I truly would like to help identify these women. For 30 years, all but Lisa have remained nameless. I think it's time to change this. The victims that are all deemed a part of the series of redhead murders all share specific characteristics. All victims are female, they have reddish-looking hair at the time of the murder, and they are found off certain interstates across a handful of states in the United States and are considered transient people. A transient person is someone who moves around a lot. They do not have a lot or any contact with their family. The likelihood these women were homeless is also very high, based on what their bodies tell us at the time they were found. Normally now is when I would talk about the life of the murder victim, telling you what they were passionate about, so you can realize they are a normal person, like you and I. Lisa's name may be known now, but much about her life we know nothing about. What we do know is Lisa hitchhiked a lot and would exchange sex for money. She was poor, homeless, and didn't have family that could help her situation, and she didn't have friends. Let's pause for a moment, because once upon a time, during my senior year in high school, I was homeless. Our home had been foreclosed, and through a series of misfortunate events, I then became homeless. I had family and friends that I could have asked for help, but I was shy at the time and I felt I would burden others. Eventually, I was able to outgrow that situation that I was in. I went to college, received a degree, and became a stand-up comedian for eight years to pay for those two words that everyone hates, student loans. I tell you that to say this. I came out of my situation with time, but Lisa and the other victims you will hear about soon was not afforded the same chance when someone decided to end their lives. Lisa may have sold sex for money at a time when she felt she had to, but that isn't who Lisa was. I once was homeless, and if I had been killed at that time, I am sure the local paper would have reported on another homeless person that died. For some reason, our society has a habit of doing this to certain people in specific situations. Whether it's a homeless person, a prostitute, or someone doing drugs, we all have witnessed the lesser status of humanity given to them. Maybe you haven't noticed it because you cannot relate, but trust me, it is a problem. I was homeless, but it doesn't mean I had less right to life than anyone else. Lisa may have been homeless, and sold sex for money, but she wasn't less of a person for it. 
Now let's go back to the article that you heard earlier. The officer was quoted as saying this about Lisa. She has the second largest prostitute record in Nashville in Davidson County. And Sergeant Raymore Bucana, a Metro Vice squad officer, said, Her rap sheet stretches from the ceiling to the floor three times. Bucana, said Jarvis, whose nickname was Baby Doll, had been arrested on charges of prostitution, shoplifting, larceny, robbery, and drugs. He said, She had a drug habit worse than my car has a gasoline habit. Now I have to ask, what use is it to tell people she had the second largest prostitution record in Nashville, or that she had a drug habit, and I quote, worse than my car has a gasoline habit. We get it. Lisa sold sex for money, and she took drugs. I am a firm believer that just because you are homeless, sell sex for money, or addicted to drugs doesn't mean you deserve to die. One may be able to argue that I am overreacting to the language that was shared when Lisa's identity was discovered and when it was released to the public back when the article was written. When I am examining a cold case, I also look at what the causes could have been that could create an atmosphere to cause a case to go unsolved. I don't think it was intentional, but in my opinion, the detective's language portrayed her as someone who we shouldn't have been surprised as she met such a horrible fate. In a way, I think the tone and language allowed communities to believe this wouldn't happen to them, and that maybe this killer was doing them a favor by taking her off the streets. There are many reasons why cases go cold. A big problem we face on Lisa's case is not knowing if there is a chance of modern-day DNA testing. When she was found in 1984, DNA testing would have been very expensive and would have required a significant amount of high-quality DNA. Without cooperation from detectives on her case, it's impossible for me to know. But it's easy to theorize that in 1984... The detectives likely knew that the outdoor exposure of Lisa's remains made the likelihood of having the right mix of DNA for testing impossible. If DNA was taken and preserved, or even if her knit shirt was saved, it's possible that new DNA testing could provide answers. We all experience our own levels of low in our lives. Some experience much lower lows than others. I would like to hear from you if you have ever reached a low dealing with being homeless, addicted to drugs, or resorting to selling sex for money. To share your story or to send in the information you find on this case, contact me at our website at shadowspod.com. In the listen category on the website, you will also see a map of this case, and I will update it with the release of each new episode in this series. Lisa Nichols was 28 years old at the time of her murder. Lisa was strangled to death and dumped out at an entrance ramp to I-40, 20 miles west of West Memphis. She is from West Virginia, but most recently she was known to live in the Nashville area of Tennessee. There has been no public photo released of Lisa Nichols, 
At the time of her murder, Lisa had strawberry blonde hair. Lisa's remains were dumped to the side of the road like trash. I just want to let that sink in for a moment. Lisa's cause of death was strangulation, which is a form of asphyxia. Asphyxia means the lack of oxygen, which happens when blood vessels or air passages to the neck are forced closed because of external pressure that someone would put onto the neck. When you hear someone was killed by being strangled, it sounds terrible, doesn't it? But let's go more into it because strangulation is one of those causes of death that really bothers me more than the others. When a person chooses to strangle someone, they are demonstrating their power and control over their victim. The feeling of suffocation is terrifying. The victim becomes completely overwhelmed by their attacker. Our necks are the most vulnerable part of the body. Oxygen and blood all flow through the body to our brain through the neck. And for the most part, our neck is unprotected. Once strangulation starts, after 10 seconds, the victim begins to become unconscious. It then will take three minutes to render someone brain dead. To understand why I see strangulation as one of the worst ways to die, let's see how long it takes to actively strangle someone until they die. The timer starts now.
Now we have reached the time a strangulation victim would be dead. You can impulsively shoot or stab someone, but manual strangulation is something a person has to be actively wanting to kill someone for at least three minutes. After a life of selling sex, taking drugs, being without family or friends, those three minutes is precisely how Lisa left this world, and I don't even have a photo to show you what she looks like. Until next time.